content of this program is intended for people who are blind and print impaired. Hello and welcome to our August 2021 edition of Heard Any Good Books Lately, a program from the North Carolina Reading Service. I'm George Douglas. This program is brought to you by the Friends of the North Carolina Library for the Blind and Physically Handicapped, an organization of citizens, volunteers, and patrons all interested in supporting the library and the services it provides. The Friends group was founded in 1989 and now has more than 300 members across North Carolina. If you would like to join the Friends group yourself, we'll have information on how to do that at the end of this program. Our program is all about books, with special emphasis on those available from the North Carolina Library for the Blind. The library has more than 86,000 titles in its collection. Books and magazines are available in large print, braille, and talking books as well. The library has more than 11,000 patrons across the state, and if you're not a patron but are interested in becoming one, I'll have more information about that at the end of the program as well. This month, we'll take a look at some of the most popular books checked out in the month of July at the North Carolina Library for the Blind. The first book we're going to talk about today sounds like a good one. It is called Murder in the Old Bombay, and it's by Nev March. Here's the plot. In colonial India, a fledgling sleuth probes the inexplicable deaths of two young women. While recuperating in hospital from battle injuries in 1892 Pune, Captain James Agnahotri of the 14th Light Cavalry Regiment becomes interested in the case of two young women who fell to their deaths from a university clock tower. A lifelong fan of Sherlock Holmes, Jim is moved by a letter published in the local newspaper from Adi Framji, the husband of one victim and brother of the other, pleading for justice. Manic Fitter stood accused of causing the deaths, but the young man was released for lack of evidence. Leaving the army behind, Jim gets a job as a reporter for the Chronicle of India and soon finds Adi, who quickly becomes Watson to his homes. The eldest of six children, Adi lost his unworldly wife, Bacha, and secretive sister, Pilu, to the killer. The investigative duo becomes a trio with the arrival from Liverpool of Adi's sister, Diana, who adds feminine insight and also has a romantic interest for Jim. Well, the investigation begins at the library near the tower where the librarian verifies the story of Manic arguing loudly with two black-clad men shortly before the tragedy. Like the last page of the medical examiner's reports on the victims, garments found under a library table have mysteriously disappeared. A pair of attacks convinces Jim that he's closing in on the killer. When Jim finally talks to Manic, who stayed mute during his trial, he expresses fears for his own safety and suggests that Jim dig deeper into the Framji family. This story is based on true events, and March's crisply written debut combines fascinating historic details with a very clever puzzle. 
The book is called Murder in the Old Bombay, and it's a book by a brand-new novelist, Nev March. Next, we'll move on to a book uh, by Melissa Broder. Milk Fed is the name of the book. It's a novel by Broder. And Melissa Broder's follow-up to The Pisces, which was written in 2018, a young talent manager struggles to transform her relationship to desire. Thanks to her mother's strict training, Rachel is obsessed with staying thin. I was softly plump, like a dumpling, recalls Rachel of her childhood. Rachel's mother feared future pain, frightened that I would grow up to be like her parents, whose obesity had caused her shame, or her fat cousin Wendy, who was just plain unhappy. As a result, adult Rachel counts calories, allowing herself only squares of nicotine gum, diet snack foods, chemical sweeteners, and a sad procession of salads. At the behest of her therapist, Rachel finally attempts to set firmer boundaries with her mother and parent herself. While ignoring her mother's increasingly unhinged texts, Rachel meets Miriam, an Orthodox Jewish woman whose family owns Rachel's favorite frozen yogurt shop chain. Rachel is immediately drawn to Miriam, who is undeniably, irrefutably fat and unabashedly kind. Her desire marks the beginning of a major internal shift for Rachel an acceptance of sorts of both fatness and queerness. Now, when it comes to both sex and food, Broder is a formidable writer. She captures all the sticky sweetness, the pleasurable tensions between yearning and satiation. Instead of turning her sharp acerbic eye on the internal ups and downs of recovery and coming out, however, Broder largely focuses on Rachel's outward expressions of desire. It's nice to think that setting boundaries with pushy family members and hopping into bed with a fat woman could heal Rachel's psyche. Unfortunately, a handful of rejected therapy sessions does not codependency, disordered eating, and internalized homophobia fix. And we don't get to see much, if any, of the internal observations that make the Pisces such a formidable debut. Even so, this novel offers a sad, funny romp about learning to let yourself want what you want, even if it means letting down the people whose acceptance you crave the most. It sounds like a very relevant uh, uh, story for many people and an interesting one as well. It is called Milk Fed, and it's a novel by Melissa Broder. Now, and heard any good books lately, we'll turn to another novel. This one is called A Blessing to Cherish by Lorraine Snelling. Though she has known hardships in her life, Ingborg Bjorklund chooses to focus on all she has been given. Blessed with children and grandchildren, she enjoys the friendship and support of the entire Blessing North Dakota community. And after several years of widowhood, she has reached a place of contentment with her life. Meanwhile, her stepson Thorleif is raising two children alone since his beloved Elizabeth died. 
But there's a new school teacher in town, Louisa Gutenberg, and Thorliff doesn't seem to be himself when she's around. It isn't just his obvious fascination with Louisa, but the fact that he seems completely oblivious to it that makes Ingborg smile. How long before Thorliff realizes what everyone else can see a mile away? But not everything is comfortable for Ingborg. One of her dearest friendships is changing, and she will have to decide if her settled, predictable life is worth more to her than a future she hardly dares to imagine. The book is called A Blessing to Cherish, and the author is Lorraine Snelling. Next, a book by novelist Amanda Cox. This is called The Edge of Belonging. Here's the plot for this one. When Ivy Rose returns to her hometown to oversee an estate sale, she soon discovers that her grandmother left behind more than trinkets and photo frames. She provided a path to the truth behind Ivy's adoption. Shocked, Ivy seeks clues to her past, but a key piece to the mystery is missing. Twenty-four years earlier, Harvey James finds an abandoned newborn who gives him a sense of human connection for the first time in his life. His desire to care for the baby runs up against the stark fact that he is homeless. When he becomes entwined with two people seeking to help him find his way, Harvey knows he must keep the baby a secret or risk losing the only person he's ever loved. In this dual-time story from debut novelist Amanda Cox, the truth, both the search for it and the desire to keep it from others, takes center stage as Ivy and Harvey grapple with love, loss, and letting go. Sounds like a lovely story. It's called The Edge of Belonging, and it's written by a brand-new novelist we hadn't heard from before named Amanda Cox. Now let's turn to a book that is a true saga, but an explosive story that sounds like a novel. It's uh, entitled Blood and Treasure, Daniel Boone and the Fight for America's First Frontier, and it's by Robert Drury and Tom Clavin. This explosive true saga of the legendary figure Daniel Boone and the bloody struggle for America's frontier by two best-selling authors who are at the height of their writing power, Bob Drury and Tom Clavin. Here's the plot. It is the mid-18th century. And in the 13 colonies founded by Great Britain, anxious colonists desperate to conquer and settle North America's first frontier beyond the Appalachian Mountains commence a series of bloody battles. These violent conflicts are waged against the Native American tribes whose lands they covet, the French and finally against the mother country itself in an American revolution destined to reverberate around the world. This is the setting of Blood and Treasure, and the guide to the epic narrative is America's first and arguably greatest pathfinder, Daniel Boone. Not the coonskin cap-wearing caricature of popular culture, but the flesh-and-blood frontiersman and revolutionary war hero 
whose explorations into forested frontier beyond the great mountains would become the stuff of legend. Now, thanks to painstaking research by two award-winning authors, the story of the brutal birth of the United States is told through the eyes of both the ordinary and larger-than-life men and women, white and red, who witnessed it. This fast-paced and fiery narrative, fueled by contemporary diaries and journals, newspaper reports and eyewitness accounts as well, is a stirring chronicle of the conflict over America's first frontier that places the reader at the center of this remarkable epoch and its gripping tales of courage and sacrifice. Once again, the name of this book and it sounds it sounds like a good one. It was extremely popular last month at the North Carolina Library for the Blind. The name of the book is Blood and Treasure, Daniel Boone and the Fight for America's First Frontier. And it was written by Robert Drury and Tom Clavin. <laughs> And you're listening to our August 2021 edition of Heard Any Good Books Lately? An exclusive production of the North Carolina Reading Service. I'm George Douglas. I'm so pleased that you joined me today. We have some wonderful books that we're talking about today. So it's going to be hard, as always, to pick out the ones that you would like to read or to listen to. Let's move on with a uh, an explosive, another explosive book here. This one is called The Bomber Mafia, A Dream, A Temptation, and The Longest Night of the Second World War. And this one is by the very popular author Malcolm Gladwell, an exploration of how technology and best intentions collide in the heat of the war. And this, by the way, was a New York Times book review editor's choice. In the Bomber Mafia, Malcolm Gladwell weaves together the stories of a Dutch genius and his homemade computer, a brand of bro- a band of brothers in central Alabama, a British psychopath, and pyromaniacal chemists at Harvard to examine one of the greatest moral challenges in modern American history. Most military thinkers in the years leading up to World War II saw the airplane as an afterthought, but a small band of idealistic strategists, the bomber mafia they're called, asked what if precision bombing could cripple the enemy and make war far less lethal. In contrast, The bombing of Tokyo on the deadliest night of the war was the brainchild of General Curtis LeMay, whose brutal pragmatism and scorched-earth tactics in Japan cost thousands of civilian lives, but may have spared even more by averting a planned U.S. invasion. In the bomber mafia, Gladwell asks, was it worth it? Things might have gone differently had LeMay's predecessor, General Haywood Hansel, remained in charge. Hansel believed in precision bombing, but when he and Curtis LeMay squared off for a leadership handover in the jungles of Guam, LeMay emerged victorious, leading to the darkest night of World War II. The Bomber Mafia is a riveting tale of persistence, innovation, and the incalculable wages of war. 
Once again, the book is called The Bomber Mafia, A Dream, A Temptation, and The Longest Night of the Second World War. And it's written by Malcolm Gladwell. Now let's take a look at a fascinating novel by the author Uzma Jalaluddin. I'll spell that for you. That's Uzma, U-Z-M-A, and Jalaluddin is J-A-L-A-L-U-D-D-I-N. I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. The title of this book is Hannah Khan Carries On. Now this is from the author of Ayesha at Last comes a sparkling new rom-com for fans of You've Got Mail, believe it or not, set in two competing halal restaurants. Here's the plot. Sales are slow at Three Sisters Biranyi Poutine, the only halal restaurant in the close-knit Golden Crescent neighborhood. Hannah waitresses there part-time, but what she really wants is to tell stories on the radio. Now, if she can just outshine her fellow intern at the city radio station, she may have a chance at landing a job. In the meantime, Hannah pours her thoughts and dreams into a podcast, where she forms a lively relationship with one of her listeners. But soon she'll need all the support she can get. A new competing restaurant, a more upscale halal place, is about to open in the Golden Crescent, threatening three sisters. When her mysterious aunt and her teenage cousin arrive from India for a surprise visit, they draw Hannah into a long-buried family secret. A hate-motivated attack on their neighborhood complicates the situation further, as does Hannah's growing attraction for Aiden, the young owner of the rival restaurant, who might not be a complete stranger after all. As life on the Golden Crescent unravels, Hannah must learn to use her voice, draw on the strength of her community, and decide what her future should be. Again, the name of the book is Hannah Khan, K-H-A-N, Carries On, and it's by the author Uzma Jalaluddin. Our next book for today also has some international involvement and implications here. It's a book entitled Dial A for Aunties, and it's by Jesse Q. Suntanto. That's Aunties, A-U-N-T-I-E-S. It's like your Aunt Louise. Okay, here's the synopsis. What happens when you mix one accidental murder with 2,000 wedding guests and then toss in a possible curse on three generations of an immigrant Chinese-Indonesian family? Well, what happens is you get four meddling Asian aunties coming to the rescue. Here's the plot. When Madeline Chan ends up accidentally killing her blind date, her meddlesome mother calls for her even more meddlesome aunties to help get rid of the body. Unfortunately, a dead body proves to be a lot more challenging to dispose of than one might anticipate, especially when it is inadvertently shipped in a cake cooler to the over-the-top billionaire wedding Medi. Her ma and aunties are working at an island resort 
on the California coastline. They're all working at this wedding. It's the biggest job yet for the family wedding business. Don't leave your big day to chance. Leave it to the chance. And nothing, not even an unsavory corpse, will get in the way of her auntie's perfect buttercream flowers. It's hard to get through this one without chuckling, I'll tell you that. Anyway, this one, but... Things go from inconvenient to downright torturous when Mehdi's great college love and biggest heartbreak makes a surprise appearance amid the wedding chaos. Is it possible to escape murder charges, charm her ex back into her life, and pull off a stunning wedding all in one weekend? Well, if you'd like to know the answer to that, you're just going to have to listen to Dial A for Aunties. And it's by Jesse Q. Sutanto, S-U-T-A-N-T-O. It sounds like its own uh, Netflix uh, story there, so uh, I think you would I think you would enjoy that one. Now let's take a look at another nonfiction uh, story here, which I think you will find uh, fascinating, and one that uh, there may be a movie about, as we'll as we'll talk about in just a couple of seconds here. This is called "The Light of Days: The Untold Story of the Women's Resistance Fight," and it's by Judy Battalion, Judith Battalion. One of the most important stories of World War II, already optioned by Steven Spielberg for a major motion picture a spectacular, searing history that brings to light the extraordinary accomplishments of brave Jewish women who became resistance fighters, a group of unknown heroes whose exploits have never been chronicled in full, at least not until now. Here's the story. Witnesses to the brutal murder of their families and neighbors and the violent destruction of their communities a cadre of Jewish women in Poland, some still in their teens, helped transform the Jewish youth groups into resistance cells to fight the Nazis. With courage, guile, and the nerves of steel, these ghetto girls paid off Gestapo guards, hid revolvers in loaves of bread and jars of marmalade, and helped build systems of underground bunkers. They flirted with German soldiers, bribed them with wine, whiskey, and home cooking, used their Aryan looks to seduce them, and shot and killed them. They bombed German train lines and blew up a town's water supply. They also nursed the sick, taught children, and hid families. Yet the exploits of these courageous resistance fighters have remained virtually unknown. As propulsive and thrilling as hidden figures in the Garden of Beasts and Band of Brothers, The Light Days at last tells the true story of these incredible women whose courageous yet little-known feats have been eclipsed by time. Judy Battalion, the granddaughter of Polish Holocaust survivors, takes us back to 1939 and introduces us to Renia Kukilka, a weapons smuggler and messenger who risked death traveling across occupied Poland on foot and by train. Joining Renia are other women who served as couriers, armed fighters, intelligence agents, and saboteurs, 
all who put their lives in mortal danger to carry out their missions. Battalion follows these women through the savage destruction of the ghettos, arrest and internment in Gestapo prisons and concentration camps, and for a lucky few like Rinya, who orchestrated her own audacious escape from a brutal Nazi jail into the late 20th century and beyond. Powerful and inspiring, featuring 20 black-and-white photographs, The Light of Days is an unforgettable true tale of war, the fight for freedom, exceptional bravery, female friendship, and survival in the face of staggering odds. That sounds like a fascinating book and uh, soon to become a Steven Spielberg movie, I gather. It's called The Light of Days, The Untold Story of Women's Resistance Fight by Judith Battalion. Now let's close the program with another nonfiction book and a timely one for this time of year, August 2021 here in North Carolina. This is called A Furious Sky, The 500-Year History of America's Hurricanes by Eric J. Dolan. Hurricanes menace North America from June through November every year, each as powerful as 10,000 nuclear bombs. These megastorms will likely become more intense as the planet continues to warm, yet we too often treat them as local disasters and TV spectacles, unaware of how far-ranging their impact can be. As best-selling historian Eric J. Dolan contends, we must look to our nation's past if we hope to comprehend the consequences of the hurricanes of the future. With the furious sky, Dolan has created a vivid, sprawling account of our encounters with hurricanes, from the nameless storms that threaten Columbus's New World voyages to the destruction wrought in Puerto Rico by Hurricane Maria. Weaving a story of shipwrecks and devastated cities, of heroism and folly, Dolan introduces a rich cast of unlikely heroes, such as Benito Vines, a 19th-century Jesuit priest whose innovative methods for predicting hurricanes saved countless lives and puts us in the middle of the most devastating storms of the past, none worse than the Galveston Hurricane of 1900, which killed at least 6,000 people the highest toll of any natural disaster in American history. Dolan draws on a vast array of sources as he melds American history, as it is usually told with the history of hurricanes, showing how these tempests frequently help determine the nation's course. Hurricanes, it turns out, prevented Spain from expanding its holdings in North America beyond Florida in the late 1500s, and they also played a key role in shifting the tide of the American Revolution against the British in the final stages of the conflict. As he moves through the centuries, following the rise of the United States, despite the chaos caused by the hurricanes, Dolan traces the corresponding development of hurricane science from important discoveries made by Benjamin Franklin to the breakthroughs spurred by the necessities of World War II and the Cold War. Yet after centuries of study and despite remarkable leaps in scientific knowledge and technological prowess, there are still limits on our ability to predict exactly when and where hurricanes will strike, and we remain terribly vulnerable to the greatest storms on Earth. A Furious Sky is ultimately a story 
of a changing climate, and it forces us to reckon with the reality that as bad as the past has been, the future will probably be worse unless we drastically reimagine our relationship with the planet. It's called A Furious Sky, The 500-Year History of America's Hurricanes by Eric J. Dolan. And that's all the time we have for this month's edition of Heard Any Good Books Lately. I'm George Douglas. I hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like more information about how to become a patron of the North Carolina Library for the Blind, simply search Google or call 888-388-2460. This program is sponsored by the Friends of the North Carolina Library for the Blind, and it's intended for people who are blind or print impaired. Heard any good books lately will be available after the broadcast at our website, ncreadingservice.org. So long till next time.